Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians 4. We're going to be in Philippians 4 today. Uh, I'm going to ask you, like, let's just be, we're going to have a little confession time. No, no judgment, maybe a little, but, but not much. How many of you love those little games you download on your phone and you just can get addicted to them? Anybody like that this morning? Okay, good. We're honest. Thank you. I'm like, one, I'm one of you, Okay. I, um, I, had, uh, I don't have any games on my phone. About three years ago, I was like, I, I get sucked into these stupid little games I put on my phone. First, it was like Angry Birds. Then it was um, Candy Crush. Remember the Candy Crush craze? And then uh, I, I, there's a couple other ones. I think it was Words with Friends I got really involved in. Woody Puzzle was another one. And, and there was one game in particular uh, that I got sucked into for about six months. And this is the way I do it. I'll, I'll, I'll get a game and I'll download it and I'll play it for a bunch and I'll wake up one day and be like, what am I doing? I gotta pay attention to my kids. And, and I'll, I'll get it off of my phone and, and then I'll find another one. Well, I've been, I've been, clean, I've been clean for three years, okay? <laughs> I've been clean for three years. And, um, but, uh, but there was this one game, it was called Tower Defense. And what it was, was these, this game that, that these aliens were coming to attack and you had to protect your home base. And you had to put up these little guns and missiles and you know, weapons to protect the aliens from coming and getting to your home base. And blow, I know I'm 12 years old, but, <laughs> but this is one of these games. And so I loved it. I got hooked on this game for about six months and then got rid of it. But I was thinking about that game, the Tower Defense game, and I think that game encapsulates a lot of the, the posture that many of us have towards issues in our life, towards issues like anxiety or sin or something else in our lives that we say, I don't want this to be here. And for the most part, what we do is we take a posture of defense, of reaction, waiting for that thing to happen, and then responding in return. And I honestly believe this is one of the fundamental issues and problems of our Christian faith, is that we simply wait for the enemy to attack us. We simply wait for the circumstances to happen, and then we respond. And if we only take a defensive posture towards our problems... The, the issue with that is we don't get to the root of our problems. Well, in today's passage, what, what Brad read earlier, we, we hear, we, we see Paul's strategy for how to overcome anxiety. And it's not just, hey, don't be anxious. There are things that he says prior to don't be anxious that give us a sense of, hey, there's something more happening here. You know, we're, we're just getting uh, to the season of, of yard season where it's, it's, it's aerating and seeding time. Now, I am originally from up north. I lived in Pennsylvania for many years, and we never had to do anything to our, our yards, primarily because it was so cold, like very, very few weeds ever lived up there, and so it was like three months we get green grass. But, but down here, I realized, I've lived down here for 23 years, that every single year, if you don't seed and aerate your yard, you're going to lose about 25% of your nice green grass to weeds. And in four years, if you do nothing, you will just have a yard full of weeds. And some of us can testify that that's just what happens. You've got to be on the offense. 
You've got to attack instead of just pulling weeds everywhere. What are you going to do to make sure that, no, I want, I want to aerate, I want to seed, I want to make sure that there's green grass growing in my yard. That's the mentality, that's the posture that God wants us to have when it comes to issues like anxiety. That we don't have to say, okay, anxiety's coming, I've got I've to work through my anxious feelings, and once I work through my anxious feelings, then I can have peace and joy. Well, God's Word actually teaches the opposite. That there's something more important than that, that that there's something we have to do before. There are things, there are strategies that we've got to be aggressive in because here's what we know. Anxiety is always going to come upon us. I mean, even just this week, I just these two moments where just anxiety flooded me. And I, okay, what's going on right now? And you're never going to get away from, from the temptation or from the feelings that attack, to, that attack us when we are anxious. But there are things that we can do to make sure we get to the root. See, I don't want to have a life where I just have to blast all the aliens coming at me. I want to blow up the ship where the aliens are. That's what I want to get to. And I want to get to the point where I get to the root of some of the problems in my life so that when I'm having, I have less and less anxiety attacks or feelings of anxiety when they're coming upon me. That's what Paul is talking about here in this passage. And so if I could summarize the main idea I want to give you today is this. Apply God's prevention and remedy for anxiety. Apply God's prevention and remedy for anxiety. I believe it was Ben Franklin, at least that's, this is what's attributed to him, when he said, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. You've heard that said before, and the whole idea is this. If you take the time to really do the small things to prevent disease or pre- prevent problems, then, then when the problem comes, you're going to take, a, has to take a lot more time, energy, effort to overcome the problems that come down the road. And that's what I want to talk about. What are the prevention things that we need to do to make sure that it keeps us from anxiety even coming upon us? But there are going to be remedy things that we're going to have to do that when anxiety happens, there are, we have a plan. And so in this passage, Philippians chapter 4, I hope you're there. I want to read this passage and I want you to see in this passage, in these four verses, there are five commands and two statements. Five commands two statements, a lot of action here that Paul is asking people to do. And again, this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi. We actually did a sermon series on on Philippians a couple years ago, but the whole idea of of Philippians, the whole letter was written because Paul's saying, I want you to be like Jesus. Remember that famous verse that he writes in the very beginning for for, to me, uh, or or, um, you know, that, that we would be Christ. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That is the, that's the purpose and the theme of Philippians. And so everything that he's asking these people to do, reflect back to, this is what Jesus would do. This is how Jesus would live. And so let's look at the, this passage, starting in verse 4 of Philippians 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. That's command number one. And again, I will say rejoice. That's command number two. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. That's command number three. The Lord is at hand. That's statement number one. Do not be anxious about anything. That's command number four. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's command number five. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's statement number two. Five commands, two statements. And so what we're going to look at in this passage, what we see here, there are actions for remedy, for actions for prevention. There's three actions for prevention that we're going to look at. And then two actions for remedy. Three actions for prevention, two actions for remedy. So let's look at this in this passage this morning again. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The first act of prevention is this. Prioritize the practice of rejoicing. Prioritize the practice of rejoicing. Now, this, here's something that you may not realize. Paul saying, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Did you know this is earth-shattering stuff? This is, this is groundbreaking information. This is so revolutionary. Did you know that you can choose joy? <gasps> What? You mean I, I can actually, like when God says rejoice and I'm actually able to have joy, that I'm actually practice the, the feeling, the emotion, the state of being of joy in my life? You mean I don't have to wait for everything to fall into place for me to have joy? No. You can actually, Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, here's what I, there's two questions here that I have for this passage. Whenever I read the Bible, number one, why does Paul say it twice? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Why two times? Well, I think the, one of the reasons why Paul says it twice is because it's so hard. It's so difficult. It's so challenging to, to put joy in and have joy in our lives. It, it is the, our default is not joy. I mean, how many of you, when you wake up every single morning, you know, the, the alarm goes off and you're like, yeah, another day. I got school or I got work. Man, we got a huge meeting today at work that my job's at stake. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait for this. Or I've got this, I've got to confront my friend on their sin today this is going to be great. I mean, how many of us wake up every morning and it's like, oh, oh, it's another day. That stupid alarm. I hate that sound. Do you ever have that alarm go off when it's not 6 a.m. In your, in your life and you're like, Whoa. you have like PTSD, like, I've got to get up. You know, there, there's something about the, the beginning of the day that, you know, what is your frame of reference? What's your frame of mind? What's your attitude? What's your perspective? Paul is saying this, you have the ability in Christ to choose joy, to choose joy, that we get to practice. I've got to prioritize the practice of joy. The other reason why I think he says it twice is because, and I, I may not believe me, but it's because we have so many things to rejoice in. Do you ever think about that? That we have so many things to rejoice in. That's why he says it twice. That it's hard, but there's also so much. And that's why he says rejoice in the Lord. I think that's really, really important. Rejoicing in the Lord. What does that mean? It means that my joy does not come from how I feel. My joy doesn't come from, 
how things are happening in my life. My joy doesn't come from my kids. My joy doesn't come from my spouse. My joy doesn't come from my bank account. My joy doesn't come from my, 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 my status in work. My joy is, is rooted in, grounded in, sourced from the person of Jesus Christ. That's where my joy comes from. And if I understand my joy can always come from Jesus, then I can always have joy. I, I want you to see this, how, how Jesus introduces this, this idea to us. In Philippians chapter, uh, or I'm sorry, in John chapter 15, we're going to have these verses on the screen for you. In John chapter 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's got them in the upper room. He's about to leave them. And he can, he can sense that there's sorrow. He talks about joy so many times in these four chapters. And he says, I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to have sorrow. And he, he's continuing to teach them to prepare them for life post Jesus being, being physically present with them. And he's, in chapter 15, he's talking about how he's the vine and they're the branches and to abide in him. And he finishes this little section in verse 9. Look what he says. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So he's saying this. The same love that I have, that the Father loves me, I love you the same way. I'm bringing in, you into this loving relationship with the Father and the Son and me and you. And this is amazing. And the more that you walk in my commandments and you live out the things that I want you to do, Here's what's going to happen. Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is one of the things that to be a follower of Jesus is, means to be a person of joy. That when we abide in him, when we remain in him, when he becomes the foundation of our life, that our, we should have joy. It's always available to us. And here's, here's what we need to understand. When joy is missing in your life, that's the first sign something is wrong. It's the first sign. I had a, I had a mentor tell me one time, the moment you see or, or sense a lack of joy in your life is the moment you recognize I'm under attack from the enemy. If you were to go home today and you were to go to your house and you're to walk up to your front door, walk up to your front porch, and all of a sudden you see your door cracked open. And it looks like someone, you know, smashed something, smashed a window, crowbarred themselves, crowbarred that door in. You saw, like, well, what would you do? You would deduce, wait, so I think someone has broken into my house. And you would immediately call 911. The moment you sense there is no joy in my life is the moment you need to recognize, oh, Someone's broken in here. Something's not right. Because God, right here, Jesus says, if you abide in me, if we are on the same page, if we're walking together, then guess what's going to happen? You're going to have joy. The joy that Jesus has, the joy that, that the fullness of the joy of Jesus will be in you. Man, that is powerful. And so, so we have to shift our, our expectation and say, what do I, what, what am I going to have joy in? Well, guess what? Every single day you wake up, you can rejoice in the Lord. You can even rejoice in what God has done. You can rejoice in what God is doing. Or you can rejoice in what God will do. But there's always a reason. to. Re you can rejoice, God, in the past, I've seen you do this in my life. 
God, you've rescued me. You've redeemed me. You've forgiven me. You've given me a new life. You've given me the Holy Spirit. Or God, I see what you're doing now. God, I believe you're present. I believe you're real. God, I believe you're working. I may not see it all, but I know you're there, and I know you're active, and I know when I pray you, you hear me. Like, you pray, like, God, you're doing something now. Or, God, I know in the future you're there. You got this under control. One of my favorite verses is in Romans chapter 12. Three simple verses. Rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope. Listen, things in your life right now may be all out of whack. You might be going through something very dark. Or the feelings of anxiety and stress and worry are over your head. Let me tell you something. As long as there is a God in heaven... And a Savior that loves you deeply and dearly enough to die for you, then you have reason to hope this morning, no matter what you're going through. And if you have, if you have hope, then you can rejoice in the hope. That's what God wants us to have. There's always a reason for joy. Practice it over and over and over again. Listen, you don't wake up with your car in neutral. When you wake up in neutral, you will get pushed around by the circumstances, by, by the devil, by all kinds of people. They'll just push you around. And you will find yourself in an emotional state based on what is happening to me and around me. No, no, no. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That means you wake up and you're like, go in and drive. We're rejoicing today. We're, start, we're starting with joy. When you start your morning, you start your day, you, start, you have the state of mind of joy, guess what? Less anxiety will come into your life. That's, that's the reality. Number two, number two, the second act of prevention, stay moderate with others. Stay moderate with others. Look back and again in, in Philippians chapter four, what does it say? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. So simply stay moderate with others. What do I mean by that? Okay, Paul's saying rejoice in the Lord. Jesus has given you reason to have joy. But obviously we know that we live in a world where we have to constantly interact with people in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, uh, online. There's, I mean, we're always constantly interacting with other people. And this word, let your reasonableness be made known. This is a really difficult word to translate into with one word into English. It, it's a word that carries the idea that I, I'm going to have this, this gracious gentleness and calm with others. I'm going to treat people with respect. I'm going to keep my emotions in check. I'm not going to do any. I'm going to, but I'm going to treat people with, with this gentleness, with this graciousness. There's this reasonableness. One of the great things that you can do when you're studying your Bible, um, when you study your Bible and you get to a, a verse or a text or a word that you're not sure about, read that verse in other translations. Because one of the things it will do is it will help you see various ways in which that, that these words or these ideas are, are, are approached from. And this word reasonableness, it's translated like five different ways in different passages. That's what, so it's, very, it's a very different kind of word. But if Paul was writing in today's vernacular, if I'm going to use a little slang here today with you, this is what Paul would say in our terminology today. Hey, don't freak out with other people. Don't let other people freak you out. The, the whole idea is you have the complete control to treat people with graciousness, with generosity, with calmness. And we should never, ever let anyone give us 
Take from us the power for us to have joy. Don't give anyone the power to rob you of joy in your life. The joy is this great privilege, this great opportunity that we have in Christ. And when we let other people rob us of joy, oh, I can't believe what this person said to me. I can't believe what this person did to me. And we start, this person attacked me. This person, you know, and we start thinking about all the things that these people have done to us. And all of a sudden, we start losing our joy. Or all of a sudden, someone starts, you know, take, you know I'm going to pull back from you. This past week in our, in, our, uh, uh, in our podcast, we talked about the five basic fears of, 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 that we have as human beings and how to find the root of one of these five fears and saying, you know, find out the root. What is it? What's really going on? One of those five fears is a fear or a loss of relationship and connection. That's one of the most basic human fears that we have. And, and maybe the reasonableness, the gentleness, the calmness that you have with other people is you're constantly afraid of what other people are going to think about you. How is this person going to respond to what this person said about me? Or, or what's going to happen? I've, I've got to act and behave in a certain way or else I, their affection, their approval, their love it will, it will be at risk of being taken away. Stress goes up. See, we've got to say, you know, how, how are they, again, what's anxiety? Carrying what I can't control. Can you control anyone? No, you can't control anyone. You can't control what someone thinks about you. You can't control what someone says about you. And here's what you've got to do. You've got to release that to the Lord and say, God, whatever they want to think about me, whatever they want to say about me, you're over that person. I'm not. You are. And so what they can think and say and do whatever they want, what you think about me is primary. And I'm, that's, I'm going to let my heart be captivated by that reality. Now, some of you, I know some of you, are, I, after my conversations this past week in the, in the lobby and in between services and this week, talking with a lot of people about this, heard a lot of feedback, and, and some of the feedback goes like this, man, I'm so glad you're doing this series. My wife over here, she stresses out way too much. You know, there's, there's someone else, and you know, within, here's the reality. In every relationship, you're going to have someone that cares more about other things, and you're going to be some person's like, whatever, and however it works out. Now, now, let me just say this, because I think this is, you can go in another ditch. Some of you, we carry what we can't control, and when we carry what we can't control, we've got to release God, you carry, you carry that. But there's another danger. Another danger, and you might be saying, like, I'm just, I'm kind of laid back, I'm kind of chill, whatever. Let me ask you this. Maybe you've given up carrying it, but maybe you've also given up caring. You've stopped caring. Maybe you've had experiences and situations in your life where you have been hurt, where you've been wounded by others. You've been disappointed with expectations in your life. And so in order for you to protect your feelings and your emotions, to keep you from feeling any fear, any anxiety, any stress, is you don't feel. And you don't care about anyone. And that's just as, listen, that's, not just, that's just as much not loving as the person caring, trying to control the outcomes. We have to care and love people the way Jesus loves people. And to have this reasonableness, this calm, gentle, caring, and graciousness with others means I do care. I'm going to care for everyone around me. Even if they treat me like a jerk, 
I'm going to love them and care for them. But I'm not going to let what they think about me determine my joy. That's what this means. Stay reasonable. Stay moderate with others. There's one more, there's one more action of remedy. Look what it says in the end of verse 5. Now, let me just say this. I know that these verse, these verse you know, divisions are not inspired. They happened you know, 1,500 years ago. But let me just say this. Whoever put the number here, big boo-boo, all right? Don't like how they did this. Because the Lord is at hand begins a new sentence. And did you know that that's where verse 6 should start? Because the Lord is at hand, do not be anxious, really is one singular sentence. Did you know that? The Lord is at hand, do not be anxious. But the third act, action of remedy is this, trust in the proximity of God. The Lord is at hand. This is one of Paul's statements. He's making a declarative statement here. That in order for us to, to keep us from, from anxiety, we have to realize, God, you are here. That, that God, you're not somewhere else. You're not distant. You're not far. One of the great promises and one of the great themes that we see throughout Scripture is God always saying, I'm here. The story of, of Hagar we talked about last week. God sees me. God knows me. Right? And what he's saying here is the third statement I want to introduce to you. God sees me, God knows me, and God's near me. God's near me. Yeah, God, you, you see me, you know me, but you're also near me. The Lord is at hand. This, this word that near that's, that's translated here, or the Lord is at hand, is a word that can be translated someone who's close to me, both in proximity and distance, but also in time. It's a both and. And when we say the Lord is at hand, it's saying, God, no matter what I'm going through, you're right here. Why is that important? Why is that such a big deal? It's because when we are afraid, when, our, when something happens to us in our life and anxiety starts coming in, it's very helpful to know there's someone whose hand I can hold. I'm not alone. This is fundamental to the human experience. If you are a parent, you were, you, you've all gone through this. At some point, your kids will hit a moment where they're saying, I'm afraid of the dark. And they will, I mean, I've never known a kid that's like, turn off those lights, shut that door, and leave me alone, you know? Eventually they get there, but there's, there's at some point in their early forming childhood, they, they're like, I, I don't want the door shut. I don't want the, all the lights off. We put a little light, you know, put a little night light in their rooms. And I remember when my kids would hit this stage and there was these moments where they'd say, just, just, I, I don't want you to leave me. And so what Liz and I would sometimes do when they're in the stage, we would say, okay, I'm going to be right here. I'm going to be right outside your door. And, and so they could see us. They, they could, you know, if they, were, if they were scared, they could see that we were there and to help them through these fears. And again, you work through your kids through this so that, you know, if, they're, if, if you're still doing that and they're 16, you know, you need to go see a therapist. But like two years old, three years old, four, you know, that's kind of normal stuff. Well, how much more for us is for Jesus to say, hey, listen, what you're going through, I'm right here. And I'm not just at the door. I'm not just within eyesight because there's something inside that kid, whatever they're afraid of, when they see mom and dad right there, what they know is this, whatever that is I'm afraid of, my mom and dad are bigger and stronger and more powerful 
and they're there to help me. Guys, how much more the God of the universe, the Savior of our souls, that he is near. And one of the, again, we see this all throughout Scripture, God showing his people over and over and over. Cloud, pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. Then Jesus coming in, in the promise of Jesus. And what's the name that, that is given at his birth? That he's named Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. And Jesus over and over and over emphasizes, I am here. I am with you. The very last thing he says before he ascends to, to sit at the right hand of the throne of the Father is this. For lo, I am with you always until the end of the age. The promise of his presence with us that is guaranteed through the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing that Jesus said. He's coming to live inside of you. Listen, you don't get any closer to inside of you, do you? So God can be even right here. And God, I mean, write down this psalm. Read Psalm 139 tonight. Read Psalm 139. It is a wonderful psalm for you if you're ever doubting God's presence. And I get it. There are times when we feel overwhelmed by our feelings of, God, where are you? But these are promises of God that we have to trust and say, God, no matter how I'm feeling, no matter what the risk of isolation and rejection is, I know you are here, and I know that you're close, and I know you're near, and I know that you're with me. Therefore, you and I can go through anything. There's nothing that you're going to face in life. There's no threat, there's no fear, there's no anxiety, there's no stress that you're going to face alone if you are in Christ Jesus. He will always be with you. He's always with you. So you got to say that. God, you're, God, you see me. God, you know me. And God, you're near me. you got to start saying these things over and over again to change our hearts and our minds to believe this. Okay, so these are the things, these are the remedies. Practicing the presence of God. Don't let other people control your joy. And put your, you know, put your day in drive and go towards joy. Just practice it. Okay, that's the remedy. Or that's the, that's the prevention. Now let's go to the remedy because the reality is anxiety comes. And so what does Paul say? Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Okay, so what's the first thing we've got to do with the remedy? Number one, know your anything and your everything. Know you're anything and you're everything. I love what, what Paul's saying here is this. There are, there are a million things out there that can stress you out. Have you ever been talking to someone who is stressed out? I mean, they've, they've got high anxiety and they're like, I'm just, I'm so worried about this person in my work and they said this and they did this. And you're kind of like, so? Do you ever feel that? Has someone ever told you what they're going through? They're stressed out and you're just kind of like, I don't get it. I'm, that would not bother me. okay. Good for you. But there is something. There's something for you that does stress you out. You know, it could be health. It could be something that's like, you know, you're constantly like, oh my goodness, that's another spot on my skin. And you're always getting, you're always worried that there's something else wrong with you and your health. Or, you know, the moment you see, you wake up every single day, and the moment that the, that the, that the, um, you see the interest rates or, you know, go up, or you see the, 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 um, all the stock exchange and things going down. You're like, oh no. You're overwhelmed with emotions. Something stresses you out. You've got to know your everything 
and know you're anything. One of the things that when people go to a pastor, they go to a counselor, they go to the therapist, many times what they'll do is they'll say, hey, I've got this problem in my life, and I need you to help me know, and here's the key word, know how to fix this, okay? We as human beings, when we know our problems, at least we hope we know our problems, but we know our problems, the first thing is God, God or someone else, help me to know how to fix this. And here's what a good counselor, a good therapist, a good pastor will do when someone comes to them and says, hey, I need help with this. What you've got to do, because before you know how to work out the how, you've got to know the why. You've got to know why that thing stresses you out. One of the best things you can do is, is when you hit, when you hit, when anxiety hits you, you've got to learn how to press pause, take a step back and say, okay, why do I feel this way right now? What is the fear going on inside of me? What's the root of this? You've got to become curious. Get curious about your anxiety. Get curious about your worry. What is the root of this? What's really going on here? Because you've got to ask yourself these questions because if you don't get to the root of the why of why it's happening, it doesn't matter what the practice is, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. You've got to get to the root. And, and if you don't know your everything and your anything, you're going to keep tripping up over and over and over again on the same things. I'll tell you one of the biggest things for me is we're getting ready tomorrow morning, we're getting in our car, and we're driving 18 hours over two days, take my daughter to her gap year program in Texas. And we're excited, and I'm a little nervous, um, but, but, you know, letting my baby girl go. But, but she's going off, and we're praying for her, we're excited about that, but then... My wife and I, after we drop her off, we're going to go on our 25-year wedding anniversary trip, and we're excited about that, to be able to do that. Yes, thank you. Pray for us. Um, but here's, here's the thing for me. My, you know what my anything and everything is? Time. And when I travel, the issue of time stresses me out. Now, I'm, I've shared this before. There's a version of me that my family calls travel Ben. It's, he's a real person, and he needs to go to therapy. And travel, Ben, I become, if you know me just in the regular day-to-day -day thing, issues of life, I'm very laid back. I'm very adaptable, go with the flow of things. But when there is a trip going on, I turn into this super hyper-fixated, like things have got to work out perfectly. And, and, you know, I can see us being in the airport Thursday morning, getting ready to go on our flight. And if it gets, if I see delay, or if I pull up in the airport and there's long lines at the security, I'm like, oh, stress, right? And there's something about, okay, when I sit down at the gate, then I feel, okay, the stress can go down. But then we get on the airplane, okay, we better take off and we better land on time. What is it? My wife is like, what is wrong with you? Just enjoy the trip. What's going on? See, here's why you have to look below the waterline. Here's why you've got to get curious, because I guarantee you, this may not be for every, every root of anxiety, but underneath many of the anxieties that we have in life is a root of an idol of something that we say, I cannot have joy, I cannot have peace, until this thing happens. See, I have a joy, or I have, a, I have an idol in my life of time. And it's especially the idol of time on vacation. 
I want things to work out perfectly. I am on vacation. I'm away from work. I'm away from the stresses of life. So what I want to do on my vacation is I want everything to happen perfectly the way I expect it. And if it doesn't, I'm going to get grumpy and mean. Okay? That's me. What's yours? What is your stress? What is your anything and everything that, man, when it happens, it just, boom, you, you turn into the stressed out, worried, anxious person. You know, is, is it your relationships? Is it your children? You see your kids do one thing, you're just straying off a little bit, and you're like, ah, ah, right? You attack your kids. Why? Because I will not have a rebellious child. Well, keep doing that. And you'll have a rebellious child. See, you can't carrying what we can't control. And some of the things that we carry are the idols of our heart that says, I cannot have joy apart from this thing. It could be your kids. It can be your career. It can be your health. There's nothing promised us in this life apart from the, the promises of the blessings of Jesus Christ. All the extra stuff we're going to have to trust God with. But there is an idol that is underneath many of the issues in our life that is saying, okay, don't be anxious about anything. What is the anything in your life? Now, before I move on, there's one more thing I want to say about this. And maybe you've never heard anyone say this before, but I feel like I have to say it. Sometimes anxiety is good. Sometimes you should have anxiety. Now, what do I mean by that? Some of you are like, hmm... What do you mean, Ben? The reason why I say that is this. There are times in our life when we are living our lives apart from God's will. We, what we just read about in John 15, we're not abiding in Christ. We're not trusting and resting in his love. And we are actually living lives of rebellion and sin against God. And if we do that, here's the key. If you're doing that in rebellion, if you're living a life in rebellion against God and you're doing it in a secretive way, covering up, no one else knows what's going on, but you do, I promise you this, you will have anxiety and you will have depression and you should. Because God has put inside of us this internal system that says, hey, hey, you're not living the way you should. Your conscience and many times, especially if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit. And we should not grieve the Holy Spirit or sear our consciences from the Holy Spirit of saying, hey, you need to repent. Hey, you need to turn from this sin. And some of you, listen, some of you are trying to get away from your anxiety by taking medication, by seeking pleasure. You're numbing yourself from all kinds of things, but you're saying, I, I, I have so much anxiety. I have so much anxiety or I have so much depression. Listen, I know this is not true for everyone, but I just feel compelled by God to say this. You might be sitting here this morning, and the reason why you have a root of anxiety and depression in your life is because you're living a life that is rebellion against God. And what, the only solution for your anxiety and depression and the stress and the, the, the overwhelming feelings of darkness you're feeling is to turn and repent and to be honest with yourself and with the people that love you and say, I'm not going to live this way anymore. I've got some things in my life I've got to deal with. No amount of medication can take away that anxiety. God has created us to, to, to commune with him. And when we live our lives apart from him, we will never find peace. 
So my, my challenge, I don't know who that is in this room this morning, but my challenge is if that's you, you need to talk to someone. Come see me. Come talk to Pastor Dan or some, maybe your life community leader or someone that you know and love and trust that says that what Ben was talking about, that's me. I'm, I'm living a life in rebellion against God and it's wrecking me. And I'm ready to turn and trust him again. So lastly, we got to know anything and everything. And lastly, we got to pray your stressors regularly. Pray your stressors regularly. I love what Paul says here. He says, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Pray your stressors. Now, I know what you're thinking. Some of you who have, have, have a history of, of, of struggle, of anxiety or depression or other mental health issues, you know what I'm about to say, and some of you are just cringing like, oh, what, what are you going to say, Ben? Listen, this section right here, or this admonition, I believe has been really, it can be abused, and maybe has been abused by others towards you. Maybe you've been going through things in your own personal life. You're in a season of darkness. You're feeling stress. You're feeling anxiety. You're feeling depression. And the person, you open up about how you're feeling, and the person comes to you and says, you know, some holy joke, like, well, have you prayed about it? And you're like, shut up. I pray every day. And it's not getting any better. You know, I, I want to encourage you to listen this week. Dan and I recorded a bunch of podcasts this week, and we answered this, you know, last week the question was, is anxiety a mental health issue or is it a spiritual issue? The question we're going to answer in the, in the podcast this week is this. What is greater, the mind or the brain? What's greater, the mind or the brain? The worldview, the philosophy of psychology has one answer, and the worldview in, in the philosophy of the Word of God in God is, has another answer. And they do not, they, they conflict. And, and what I'm here to tell you is that the science that we now have proves the truth in the reality of Romans 12, 2, when it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is not just a theological reality, it is a scientific reality, okay? And, and so when Paul says, when you have anxiety, pray, pray regularly. Now, here's, we've got to pray the right things. We've got to learn how to pray, and we've got to know why we're praying. Prayer is not, listen, listen to me, prayer is never meant to be the red button, you know, fix, what I mean by that is we expect when this Bible says, do not be anxious, but in everything with prayer and supplication, you know, let your request be made known to God. What God is not saying is when you pray, you're going to start feeling better like that. Like there's this red button, like, you know, prayer, eh. God help me today. I just, I feel overwhelmed and I feel so great today. Hey, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He's so good to me. Yay. I prayed. Is that how it works? No. I mean, it can. Don't get me wrong. Can God zap you in a prayer? Absolutely. He can zap you, all right? You know, there's some zapping moments, but don't, don't get on the expectation like, I'm going to pray, and i got to press this red button, and then I'm going to feel better. Listen, there's been a lot of times I pray, and I don't feel better. And you know how I know that that's normal? Because I have this wonderful book in the Bible called The Psalms. 
And the Psalms tell us there are times we feel bad and we pray and we got to keep praying. You see, we've got to, we've, how we pray and how we approach prayer is so important. And here's the question I want to ask you. Do you look at prayer when you're anxious? Do you look at prayer as, God, take this feeling away? I've never had God take a feeling away from me, ever. 47 years old. Walked with Jesus for over 40 years. He's never taken away a feeling from me. Now, he gives me the power to choose my feelings, but God does not remove anything from me. He gives me the power to be able to choose the path forward. But here's what we have to ask. Are we asking for, when we pray, are we looking for relief for ourselves and from our symptoms? Or are we looking for transformation and glorification of Jesus Christ? When you pray when you're anxious, is your posture of prayer, God, there's some things I'm going through, but, but God, in, above all, change me and glorify yourself. Because that's, prayer is meant to align our hearts with God and to give us a perspective so that we can choose the feelings where we feel overwhelmed. That's what prayer is supposed to do. So what does Paul say here? Four things I want you to, very, very briefly, four things of, of application. Number one, we've got to pray your feelings. Pray your feelings. Pray your negative feelings. God, I am stressed out. God, I do not like how this person treated me. I'm a little ticked off right now. God can handle it. You know why I know he can handle it? Because again, Psalms. There is a psalm for how you're feeling. I promise you that. And what the psalmist teaches us is he teaches us how to complain, how to lament, how to bring our negative feelings to the Lord, not bury them. In, you know, the Christian life is not meant to say you're not allowed to have negative feelings. Rejoicing in the Lord, and again I say rejoice, doesn't mean that you never have negative feelings. You're going to have negative feelings. And I have to learn how to, in one hand, learn how to rejoice in hope, but also how to be honest with God in my feelings of feeling, God, I don't like this. God, I'm feeling this right now, and I am, God, you've got to do something. We've got to learn how to pray our feelings to the Lord, being honest with Him. Number two, pray your desires. Pray your desires. It, again, is my desire for relief? Or is my desire for transformation? God, I want you to fix this problem. But again, God, very, again, I don't believe God just is going to zap us with feelings. I believe that what God does, God doesn't, most of my prayers, when I was young in my faith, many times I would say, God, take this away from me. Remove this problem away from me. And taking out and removing is not typically what God does. What I can testify is that God most of the time does not take away, he takes through. He will take you through the valley of the shadow of death. He will take you through the darkness. He will take you through the pain. Because he wants you to know that when you go through that, his presence is real. And you can trust him. And you can trust him the next time, and the next time, and the next time when anxiety hits. So, so we've got to learn how to pray our feelings. We've got to know how to pray our desires. Number three, we've got to pray with thanksgiving. Again, he says, 
in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What Paul is saying there is you, you've got to be praying your requests with this sense of God, you're doing something. There is always a reason to be thankful, always a reason to be thankful. And thankfulness, I believe this, thankfulness is the gateway to joy. Thankfulness is the gateway to joy. You want to be a more joyful person? Start thanking God for things that he has done, he is doing, and what he will do. But that, it's, it's praying with thanksgiving. And then lastly, pray with expectation. Pray with expectation. Look at this last verse, verse 7 again. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, this is one of these things that's hard to wrap our minds around because, again, the peace of God is this thing that's like, how do, how do I know that I have it? And, again, there are going to be times you pray and you don't, your feelings don't change. And so what we've got to pray is, God, help me through these feelings. Give me the perspective that you want. But here's what I know. The more I pray, the more I pray in faith that I can tell you this, that the feelings follow the faith. The feelings will follow. The peace of God that he's giving to you, it's there. You just have to see it. This past week, I was on a walk. And again, I go on a couple walks a day. And I was on my prayer prayer walk during one evening. And it was, it was getting dark out. And I... Um, and there was like these dark clouds that were on the horizon and they were coming up and it just kind of looked like dark rain clouds. And so I'm, I'm making my loop and I'm hoping that the rain clouds don't hit me. I don't know how far off they are, but you know, I could see it's coming. So I'm on my little prayer walk and as I'm turning my road to go down and finish my loop, I see this picture in the sky and I want to share it with you. And, and in that moment... I think that picture is a perfect illustration of the peace of God. You see, the dark clouds are still there. The dark clouds have not removed. But you know what the peace of God is? The peace of God is seeing the light behind the clouds. It's being able to see there is, there is something more powerful and present. Those clouds are temporary. But the power behind those clouds is greater and the circumstances, some of you are going through some things. Some of you are going through the dark clouds right now in life. The anxiety, the fear, the worry. And you are feeling overwhelmed right now. And I'm telling you this. You can have faith that when you pray, God is working. And what prayer does is it helps us to see that light the light behind the darkness. That's the peace of God. It may rain a little bit, may get dark for a little bit, but I know there's a greater power and presence that is with me. And this last point gives us another God statement, right? We've said God, is, God sees me, God knows me, God, God's near me, and the last statement, God hears me. God hears me. God sees me. God knows me. God's near me. God hears me. Now, I want us to close our time together saying those four things, all right? Can we, can we do that together, those four things? All right, ready? We're going to say it together. 
God sees me, God knows me, God's near me, God hears me. God sees me, God knows me, God's near me, God hears me. Listen, you've got to say that over and over and over again. To be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that's the reality. So, three quick applications and then we're done. Number one, number one, recite the God statements regularly this week. Recite the God statements regularly this week. One of the things I would encourage you to do, wake up every morning, begin your day. When those moments of stress hit, you say those four things. God, I know you see me. God, you know me. You know what I'm going through. God, you're near me. You're with me. You're close to me. And God, you hear me. You are, you are responding to, to what I'm saying. So I can trust in you. All right? Number two, spend five minutes a day rejoicing in the goodness of God. Spend five minutes a day rejoicing in the goodness of God. This is just practicing, but begin. Let's put our car in drive and go. Let's not be in neutral and let circumstances overwhelm us. Practice rejoicing, and I promise you this. The more you practice rejoicing, the less negativity, the less stress, the less anxiety will come into your life. Number three, find a psalm or psalms that you can pray regularly during times of anxiety. You take, for the next 30 days, just read five psalms a day. And what you can do is, I promise you this, find a section, find a psalm or find a section of the psalms that fits perfectly with how you're feeling. Write it down. Fill it out, whatever it is, but you come out with those prayers. And every, the moment you feel those anxieties, God, here's what you have the words to say to God. God, this is what's going on in my life. God will give you the words if you just look for them. Find a psalm that reflects your feelings, your anxiety, so that God can give you the peace that he's offering you today. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I typically don't do this, but I, want to, I just want to end with a question. And the question is this. With every head bowed and every eye closed, how many of you just say, Ben, I need some prayer this morning because of some anxiety in my life. There's some really big things going on. I feel overwhelmed. I feel afraid. And I need prayer right now. Just raise your hand. Yes, thank you. Many hands. Yes, many hands across the room. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Yes, I see you. Thank you. Put it down. Yes, thank you. Many hands. Thank you. Yes. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. But I just want, before I do that, I just want to say one more thing. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you the thing of walking in rebellion, walking in sin apart from God, that's, that's your story. And if you need to talk to someone, I would just encourage you today to come see me, come see again one of our pastors, Pastor Dan, to talk with us. We have a prayer team out in the lobby help answer any questions you might be going through or any questions you might have about God. But, but the peace of God that passes understanding is impossible for you to have apart from a personal relationship with Jesus. And you might need that this morning. I invite you to respond in that way. Whatever, you're, whatever God's calling you to do, let's let him carry our anxieties. Let's work on just, not just the prevention, but the remedy. Father God, I, I thank you right now that you are present in this room. And for every person that raised their hand, God, I don't know all the, the scores of people that, that are feeling overwhelmed right now, but God, you know every heart. And God, you know every problem. And God, I pray that your presence would be known in their hearts and their minds 
surround them. I love what it says in your Psalms that you surround us with shouts of deliverance. Surround every person in this room. God is feels weak. That God is looking for hope. And that God, you would, you would be close to them right now. That you would hear the cry of their heart. And may the peace of God surround them and fill them in Christ Jesus. God, may we leave here today with a plan for both offense and defense to know we do not have to be bound by fear and anxiety. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.